Well, good morning. Welcome to Rock Point. That'll wake you up this morning, won't it? I love it. Glad you're here. Listen, we are starting a new series in the book of Nehemiah. So guess what we're going to turn in our Bibles this morning? Not Nehemiah. Sorry. Go to Jeremiah chapter 29. Okay? Yeah, I threw you all off there, didn't I? Listen, we are going to talk about in the book of Nehemiah, but we're gonna, we have to build, we have to understand the background of Nehemiah this morning before we actually jump into the book of Nehemiah. But we're going to talk about God's faithfulness inspires courage. God's faithfulness inspires courage. You know, a lot of times when you see people do extraordinary things with great courage, it's because they believe in a greater cause that has inspired them to do something greater than maybe they would have normally done just in and of themselves. And, and there's, there's all kinds of illustrations of that, so I'm going to do a flashback moment back to my junior year in high school, 1980. Okay, now you know how old I am. 1980, the Winter Olympics were in Lake Placid, New York, and if you're old enough to remember it, the things that that Olympics was known for was the U.S. hockey team. Remember that story? 1980, the, the U.S. hockey team was made up of a bunch of college kids because back then the professionals weren't supposed to play, and yet some of the other countries did. And so our whole team was made up of a bunch of, a bunch of college guys Nobody thought they ever had a chance of meddling, let alone like winning very many games as they went through the Olympics, but they were at home, and they were playing in front of the home crowd, and they were playing for something that was greater than themselves. They were playing for the United States of America, and they started to win, and they started to get some momentum. But then in the semifinal round, they ran up against the Soviet Union, the professional team from the Soviet Union, who our kids had scrimmaged just a couple of weeks before in an exhibition and gotten beat by seven goals. And they had to play the mighty Soviet Unions in the semifinal round. And the, and the Soviets sco scored first, and we came back to tie it. And about halfway through the third quarter, Mike Aruzioni scored the go-ahead goal, and then we just had to hang on for the finish. Now, how many of you remember watching this? How many of you remember that? All right. See, there again, there's all the old people, okay? I, I mean, I can, like, I'm reliving this in the living room of my house, watching this on television. And it wasn't black and white back that far either, okay? It was color. But I want to show you like the last 30 seconds of this game. Al Michaels, who was the announcer, made that, that famous call, do you believe in miracles? Because it was such an incredible upset that it was like a miracle that they would ever win. So watch this video clip. Long shot. Shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. 
Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. Bill Lechinoff gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Long shot. Craig able to get a piece of it to sweep it away. Like, does that just fire you up right there? Like, I just want to start, like, chanting, USA, you know, that kind of a thing, right? I mean, it's just like, wow, such an incredible moment. Why? Because there was a bunch of high or a bunch of college kids that believed in a cause greater than themselves. They were playing for their country, and it gave them great courage to go out and do something extraordinary. You see, when we read our Bibles, here's what I want you to see when we read our Bibles. We have story after story after story of just ordinary people doing very courageous things because they believed in a greater cause. And that greater cause was the faithfulness of their God, which is why they did the courageous things that they did. You see, when we get to the book of Nehemiah, it's so important that we understand that the book of Nehemiah is not about a courageous man that was the king's cupbearer. That's not what the book of Nehemiah is about. The book of Nehemiah is about the faithfulness of God. And that's what I want to help you see this morning so that as we get into Nehemiah chapter 1 next week, we don't miss it and think that this book was written about this great guy that was really courageous. Okay, that's not what it's about. The book of Nehemiah is about the faithfulness of God because when we read our Bibles and open our Bibles, it's not, about a, it's not a book about men, it's a book about God. And we've got to see God in the big picture and the big picture of Nehemiah is that our God is a faithful God, and that's what we're going to look at as we get into it today and, and starting next week. The faithfulness of our God, and then how the faithfulness of our God inspires people to do courageous things. So let's pray together, and we're going to jump in. Lord, thank you for, oh wow, thank you for our worship this morning. Thank you that you are greater greater than anything. You are a faithful God. And because of that, when we really understand who you are in our lives, it actually inspires us to reach out and do really courageous things, not because of us, but because of the greater cause, because of your kingdom. And so as we open up your word today, as we look at some of the history that's going to lead us to the book of Nehemiah, God, help us to see your faithfulness because you are an unbelievably faithful God to us even when we don't deserve it. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're gonna get to Jeremiah, but it's not gonna be till way at the end, okay? So if you're taking notes, we're gonna lay this out. Who likes history? Anybody like history? Okay, I'm gonna give you a history lesson that you have to get to understand the book of Nehemiah. So here we go. King David and King Solomon, great kings for the nation of Israel, we're all familiar with those names. After their reign, 
the nation of Israel went into civil war and became a divided kingdom. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So let's go ahead and put that map up there this morning. There it is right there. Okay. So, uh, so Israel, divided kingdom. You have the northern kingdom, which was Israel. The capital was Samaria. There were 10 tribes of Israel of the 12 that kind of went that direction. The southern kingdom was Judah with the Jer- Jerusalem being the capital. And two of the tribes of Israel went down there. Now, the northern kingdom with the capital of Samaria. Let's go to the next picture. So these are all the kings. And it's not important you can read all the names. But these are all of the kings of Israel, all of the kings of Judah, And the ones in blue were good kings, and the ones in the dark were kings that were evil in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, now look at the southern kingdom of Israel, or the northern kingdom of Israel for a minute. How many blue kings do you see? None. So for 200 years, okay, hear hear me, 200 years in the nation of Israel as a divided kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel that we just looked at with the capital of Samaria, there were 19 kings over 200 years, and none of them, none of them did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. None of them. So because of their unfaithfulness, God sent the Assyrian Empire in to conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. So you can see the Assyrian Empire, huge empire, and they came down and they conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, which took years and years and years to do. It took several years just to conquer the capital of Samaria. And this is very important to understand While the northern capital of Samaria is beginning to be conquered by the Assyrians, there was a remnant from all ten of the tribes of Israel that went south to Jerusalem and started living in Jerusalem. So the Assyrians wipe out the ten, uh, all all of, of northern Israel, and then they set their sights on southern the southern kingdom of Judah, and they started making their way down through there. The king of the Assyrians was called Sennacherib. Okay, Sennacherib went down and he destroyed all of everything in the northern kingdom. He made his way down. He destroyed all of the four fortified cities in the southern capital, and there was only one city left. What city was it? Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the only city left. And he's got them surrounded, and there's no hope at all. There is nothing to spare Jerusalem from Sennacherib. He is going to take that, and for him, and, he, and, and if, you, if you had a chance to go to his palace in Nineveh, and they've, and they've excavated it, he had a huge courtroom of our huge hallway going to his main room of all of the places that he conquered as his king. And he had one place at the end of that that he wanted as his showroom, and it was Jerusalem. That was the crown jewel that he wanted. 
And so Sennacherib comes all the way down. He destroys everything else except Jerusalem. And if he takes Jerusalem, he wipes out the entire nation of Israel. Right? Because a remnant from the top ten tribes came to Jerusalem Jerusalem was the last stronghold for for the remnant of the 12 tribes of Israel. And if he wipes that out, listen to me, there is no more Israel. There's no more Israel. They're gone. All of them are gone. There is no more Israel then. There is no more Israel today. Now I want you to think about the ramifications of that for just a minute. What if he wins? If he wins, there is no book of Nehemiah. If he wins, there is no book of Ezra. If he wins, there is, listen, there is no Jesus. If he wins, there is no Apostle Paul. If he wins, there is no New Testament. If he wins, we aren't sitting in this building today. Do you understand the ramifications of if he takes Jerusalem, what's going to happen from that point on? But here's where we see the faithfulness of God. I want you to look at the screen. Genesis chapter 17, God made a promise to Abraham. Okay, now look at the promise. No longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you very fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you, and I will establish my covenant, and let's look at what it says, as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Now let me ask you something. God made a promise of an everlasting covenant. How long is an everlasting covenant? (laughs) It's forever, right? It's forever. So if Sennacherib wins and takes Jerusalem and wipes out the nation of Israel, what does that do for God's faithfulness to his promise of an everlasting covenant? It's not true. And everything falls apart if Sennacherib wins. Now, out of this everlasting covenant came another covenant Because out of Abraham's line came this guy named King David. And God made a promise to King David, and it's in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and it says this, God said to David, your house and your kingdom will endure, how long? Forever. So there's another everlasting covenant before me and your throne will be established forever now if you and we don't have time to do this but if you had time and you might want to write in your notes matthew chapter one matthew chapter one starts off and it says this is the genealogy of jesus christ and it starts with abraham 
and it goes down to David, and it goes down and then all the way through a lot of these kings to the person of Jesus. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, that God made this promise to Abraham and to David that there would be an everlasting covenant. And if Sennacherib wins, all of that goes out the window. Now, I want you to write down these two passages. Again, we don't have time to turn to all of these, but I want you to write down 2 Kings 19, 2 Kings 19, and 2 Chronicles 32. Okay? Because this is the story of what happens as Sennacherib has Jerusalem surrounded. There is no way out. Sennacherib even wrote in his journal, Jerusalem is like a caged bird. They have nowhere to go. We're going to take Jerusalem. And yet the prophets of God said to King Hezekiah, who was the king in Jerusalem, they're not going to shoot one arrow against this city. Not one arrow. And they had him surrounded. And in those passages, we read what God did. He took one of his angels, just one, and that angel went out at night and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And King Sennacherib packed up his bags and went home. One of God's angels killed 185,000 Assyrians, and they went home. Is God faithful? You bet he is. Because if Sennacherib wins, everything stops there. Now, how many of us would think this, that after 200 years of being unfaithful, and God sends the Assyrians, and they wipe out everything except for God spares Jerusalem, that after 200 years of being unfaithful and God being faithful to spare you like that, that the nation of Israel might think to themselves, hey, maybe we should live for our God. He just spared us. How many would think that? Okay, I would think that they might get the message, but guess what? They didn't. They didn't. So let's go back to the... To the uh, um, chart again. Okay, so now we got Judah over on the right side. Judah lasted for about 340 years, so about 140 years longer than Israel did, because Israel got wiped out by the Assyrians. God spares under King Hezekiah. You can see part way down there, King Hezekiah was a good king. That's when the Assyrian invasion happened. God spared them. But then for the next 140 years, how many good kings do you see? One, just one. And they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Even after God did all of that for them, they still did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so God sent the Babylonians then to destroy the southern kingdom and to haul them off into captivity. And so I think we got a picture here, this map. There we go. And so this time, over that 140 years, the Babylonians overtook the Assyrians. They became the major power. And so the Babylonians came, and they destroyed Jerusalem, and they, and they hauled all of the, the nation of Israel to be captives in the land of Babylon, a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. 
Okay, now. Okay, now they're in captivity. They've been in captivity for 70 years. And that's where Nehemiah chapter 1 picks up. Okay, and you understand the importance of understanding all of that? Okay, now is where Nehemiah is going to come into play as we start thinking about God's faithfulness. 340 years, basically, they had been unfaithful to their God. And, and we might think that God would say, okay, enough. I'm done with you. No more chances, right? But that's not what God does. Because God made an everlasting covenant and said, I'm your God, and out of Abraham and David, I'm going to establish my kingdom forever. And God continued to prove himself to be faithful to them, even after they were unfaithful for so long. Now, how many of us would say this? I'm really glad that my God is faithful because there are times that I'm a lot like the nation of Israel, where I am unfaithful to my God, maybe for days, maybe for weeks, maybe for months, maybe for years. But God never changes his faithfulness to me. Amen? That's our God. You know, so, so I was thinking this week, okay, so like what in our lives do we have that kind of represents this? Because human relationships break down, don't they? I mean, you might have a friend, but if they're unfaithful to you and unfaithful to you and unfaithful to you and they hurt you and they hurt you and they hurt you and they ignore you and they ignore you and they ignore you, pretty soon what do we do? I'm done with you, right? Human relationships break down all the time. And, and, and so, so I was thinking like, okay, so like what, like what kind of relationship do we have that doesn't break down? And then the other day it hit me. I walked into my kid's house, Katie and Caleb's house, where my grandkids live, but also where my grand dog lives. Okay, now I don't have a dog, but I have a grand dog, and that's Murdoch. And Murdoch's a golden doodle, and Murdoch loves people, but Murdoch loves me. Isn't that true? Murdoch loves me. And anytime I walk into the door, I mean, that dog is all over me, wiggling out of his skin. Who, who are my dog people out there? Who are my dog people? Okay. So you're going to get this, okay? Because, because even if I walk in the door, if Murdoch jumps on me and it gets me all dirty and I'm like, Murdoch, stay down, get away from me, go lay down or whatever. Like if I get mad at him, but the next time I walk in the door, guess what Murdoch's doing? He's right over there loving on me, wiggling right out of his skin. What if I don't go see him for several days? The next time I walk in the door, guess what? He's right there, wiggling out of his skin all over me. What if I don't see him for weeks on end? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Every time I come back to see him, he's 
always happy to see me. Even if I'm having a bad day, he's still happy to see me. Even if I ignore him, he's still happy to see me. Even if I get mad at him and come back the next day, he's still happy to see me. How many of you dog people got a dog just like that? See, you get it, don't you? You get it. Now, I'm not saying that God is, I'm not putting a dog on the level of our God, okay? So let's make that really clear. I'm not doing that. But I am saying the correlation between the two does work. That we can ignore our God. We can be mean to our God. We can not spend time with our God. I mean, it doesn't matter. But every time we come back to our God, He is always faithful to us. Because that's who our God is. That's who our God is. And, and so, so I want you to see a, a couple of some verses here that are just, just really, really good about God's faithfulness. And I'm going to put them on the screen, and I want you to read the underlined portion with me, okay? So we, we got several of them. Know therefore that the Lord God is God. He is the faithful God. Okay, that's Deuteronomy 7.9. Here's Deuteronomy 32. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all of his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Psalm 71, I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. My God, I will sing praise to you. Psalm 89, who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. Okay, listen, your faithfulness surrounds you is what the verse says. Not his faithfulness surrounds us. It surrounds him because it's one of his attributes. He is a faithful God. And because it surrounds him, it surrounds us. Then let's look at the New Testament, because this is a great verse, 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. Wow, isn't that a great verse? He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Right? How do we get through temptation? Because God is faithful. Not us. God is faithful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. Okay, He's called us into relationship with Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ as God therefore is also faithful. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where it says this. Let's read the underline. But as surely as God is faithful, and this is the Apostle Paul talking, so he says this, our message to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us, to the glory of God. Listen, what does that mean? That means that when God has given us a promise, 
It is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And in that promise, it is always going to be yes. It's always going to be fulfilled. God is always going to be faithful to us, is what that verse tells us. That God is always going to be faithful. We see that in the Old Testament, and we're going to get there. I'm almost to Jeremiah 29. Okay, hang on. We're almost there. God is faithful all the way up through because of the person of Jesus Christ. Every promise that God has made and says, hey, this promise is true, it's always going to be yes in Christ. It's always going to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ because it's an everlasting covenant. So, So the first thing we see is this, that God is faithful, and then the second thing we're going to look at is this, that because God is faithful, it inspires people to be courageous because of God's faithfulness. So think about this. Why did Moses courageously stand up to Pharaoh? Because God is faithful. Right? Because God is faithful. God said, hey, I want you to go do these things. And Moses kept doing them. And God kept being faithful to do what he said he was going to do. Why did David courageously fight Goliath? Because his God was a faithful God. Why did Gideon courageously take on the vast Midianite army with only 300 men? Because his God was faithful. Why did Daniel face the lion's den courageously and not stop praying? Because he knew his God was faithful. Why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bow down to the golden statue when the music played and get, and get threatened with thrown into the fiery furnace because their God was faithful? Remember what they said in that passage? Hey, listen, we know that if our God chooses to, he can rescue us. They believed, they did courageous things because their God was faithful. Why did Nehemiah, here's what we're going to see in chapter 1. Why did Nehemiah after being in captivity for 70 years, became the king's cupbearer, why did he go to the king and ask him this outlandish request, which was this, hey king, I'd like to take 50,000 of your people that are working for you, 50,000, I would like to take them back to Jerusalem with me to rebuild the city walls and rebuild the city gate. And not only that, Would you give me money? Would you give me your army for safe passage? And would you give me supplies to do the job? That's insane, okay, to ask the king for that kind of request. Why would Nehemiah have the courage to go ask the king that? Jeremiah 29. Okay, now take your Bibles and look there. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10. The prophet Jeremiah is prophesying to the people before the Babylonians are going to come in and destroy them, all right? He's saying, hey, listen, you've been wicked. God's going to send the Babylonians. They're going to come in and destroy you. But then he also tells them something else is going to happen. Look at chapter, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. 
Now, verse 11, let me say something about verse 11 real quick. Verse 11, Jeremiah 29, 11, a lot of people use as their life verse. This is God's promise to me. Actually, this is not God's promise to you. This is God's promise to the nation of Israel after they went into captivity. Now, God's promises are still true. I hope I didn't wreck somebody's life out there, okay? God's promises are still true, but actually, this verse was not written to you and it wasn't written to me. Look at the context of where it was written. It was a promise to the nation of Israel. So look at verse 11 then. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. The first thing we're going to read about in Nehemiah chapter 1 next week is that Nehemiah prayed to his God that he would send them back to Jerusalem. That's the first thing he did as he prayed. Verse 13, And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Here's what that is. Drop the mic and walk off the stage. That's what that is. Why? Did Nehemiah go to the king with this unbelievably crazy request? Hey, will you let me take 50,000 people, your money, your army, and your supplies to go back and rebuild the capital city and fortify the walls and rebuild the gates? Why in the world would you make that request? Because of the faithfulness of his God. That his God promised that after 70 years, he was going to send them back. I think... Nehemiah knew that promise of the faithfulness of his God. And it's why he made the request to be courageous and then took the people back to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. Listen, are you thankful for a faithful God in your life? Oh my goodness, what a great God we have. Listen, maybe you've been walking unfaithfully. Maybe, maybe you're, you're one of those that it's been days, weeks, months, years that you have not been faithful to your God. I want to tell you that your God is still faithful to you. And if you will return to him, he will be there for you. If you're going through a hard season of life, God is still there for you. He will be faithful. He is faithful. His promises are true. And we're, we're going to see that over and over and over again as we get into the book of Nehemiah. Are you ready to get there? Nehemiah chapter one, next Sunday. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the beginning of this great book of Nehemiah, which really is not a book about a great man of courage. It's really a book about a faithful God. And Lord, if we didn't get all of that this morning, it really would have skewed how we look at the whole book and so we're thankful that we could take a minute and just walk back in time to see how faithful you are to us. 
God, there might be some here this morning that have not been faithful to you. Maybe they need to come back. Maybe there's those in a hard season of life right now. They just need to know that you're a faithful God that's going to fulfill his promise. God, I I pray that you would use this message to encourage them today. If they need prayer, if they need support, they can go to the point. There will be people there to love them, work with them, counsel with them. But God, help us walk out of here this morning knowing who you are, the faithful God that will never leave us, they'll never forsake us. Your promises are always true. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This makes us really grateful for what Jesus accomplished for us, that even when we're faithless, God is faithful and there's a pardon for sin there. Aren't you grateful for that? That's an encouraging truth that we hold on to, that our God is faithful. Hey, before you go, i got a few things that just want to make you aware of. I want to remind you that we are collecting uh, change checks, all sorts, into the Women's Resource Bottles. Uh, to give to the Women's Resource Center. want to uh, support them. Really grateful for your involvement in that. And if you could remember to bring your bottles back next Sunday, uh, we'll be collecting those. So make sure you get those bottles back. And then the following Sunday uh, is Super Bowl Sunday, minus Tom Brady. Okay. Kind of figured a few of you may be excited about that. Uh, Rock Point Student Ministry is going to be getting together to have a Super Bowl party that night. You do not want to miss out on that. And then at the end of February, we are going to have a Baptism Sunday. If you are interested in uh, following Jesus in that next step of obedience, as you've trusted in Him for salvation, you love to make that public, please let us know. We'd love to uh, talk with you about what that would mean for you to get baptized. But as, we, as we're going out, just remember, here's the cool part. God is faithful. He's going to be with us in the midst of what He's called us to this week. Amen? Are you thankful for that? So church is not over. Let's go be the church knowing that you are loved and you are sent.